Well, good morning to all of you. So good to see you in the house of the Lord today. And I'm so glad that this is the first weekend of our Missions Ephesus month. Um, over the years, whether it is my first missions conference or Mission Emphasis Month or my umpteenth, God never fails to point out some kind of shortcoming in my life. And he moves me to action. And I hope that'll be your experience as well. Uh, for example, over the years, um, I've been challenged in many different ways by the Lord, and I think that uh, some of these same challenges belong to all of us here in this sanctuary. Uh, for example, the loss of compassion and passion for the tens of thousands who pass into eternity without hearing the gospel or receiving Christ as Savior. Uh, somehow over the years, you know, we hear so much about it, we, we see it happening all around us, and we just sort of grow immune. We, we grow, uh, uh, it just becomes a, a normal process of life, you know, kind of an event. But nevertheless, we, we should have that compassion and passion for the tens of thousands who are dying around us. Another shortcoming is the loss of a sense of urgency and importance to share the good news of forgiveness of sin and eternal life with God made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, somehow there's always something else that we need to be talking about. There's always seems to be something else uh, that needs to occupy our time. Uh, for example, how about the World Cup? How about the World Cup, Right. If I were to catch any of you in the hall or down in the canteen, we could start a conversation on the World Cup and I would just have to say World Cup and then you just bury me for the next, you know, 20, 30 minutes. All right. Because why? It's so important. You know, why is that so important? Do you remember who won the last World Cup? How about the one before that? You see, but somehow we think it's so important and it's something that we need to talk about that sense of urgency and importance. The loss of calling to share the message of reconciliation with God with our family and friends and co-workers, classmates, neighbors, and even strangers. Uh, somehow we don't believe that we have been specifically placed where we are strategically and tactically by God to be his messengers, to carry this message across, you see. We kind of think it's for these people, <laughs> you know, it's for somebody else, but we have lost that sense of calling. We lost, then that last one is the loss of courage to share the realities of eternal life in heaven and or eternal death in hell. I mean, boy, I tell you, if there's anything that's difficult to talk about, it's got to be the, the, your, your eternal destiny. I mean, who wants to hear they're going to go to hell? Who wants to, who, you know, who wants to hear that message, you see? And so it takes a lot of courage for us to, to even want to do that, to even broach that subject especially with loved ones. And so these are the kinds of shortcomings. These are the kinds of things that God raises up during uh, such events as Mission uh, Emphasis Month. Now, if we had to be, you know, if we were to be honest, we sh let's be honest and admit it, if we were more, we are more comfortable with learning about the finer points of the gospel than living and sharing it, Right. We'd rather, much rather be sitting in some Sunday school class or some seminar or something like that and learning the glories of our gospel and, and relishing it and just ba basking in it and all that than to go out and actually live it and share it. Because that is so, so, so hard, you see. And so sometimes missions emphasis month has a way of bringing that to the surface and saying, is this how you feel? Is this how we ought to feel? What should we do about it? 
And so that's why it's such an important event. Uh, we mustn't fall prey to the temptation to say, I have heard it all and I have heard it enough. <laughs> have you ever felt that way before? You know, here comes, you know, the, 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 the passage about, you know, the harvest is plentiful, send the workers out. Oh, yeah. I've heard it all and I've heard it enough. Please don't take me there again, you see. And I personally believe that that's really right out of the heart and mouth of Satan himself. So he's whispering in some of our ears right now. And he's saying, aren't you wondering who's going to win the World Cup? Aren't you wondering if there's going to be enough of those special delights at the place I'm going to have lunch? Aren't you worried about this? And aren't you worried about that? You see, anything to distract us. And then he whispers those words. I've heard it all and I have heard it enough. You see, and so we slip back, we relax, we we just sort of go into the zone, you know, and we close our ears and we close our hearts. And so that's what can happen to us. But this morning, I have really wanted to, to explore three steps to shake us out of our personal apathy and into spiritual vibrancy about sharing the gospel. Now, this is a great challenge. You know, when I look out at this really auspicious group of, of believers, and many of you have been Christians for many years, many of you are very fervent, and others of you are on the road to growth and things like that. I said, what could I possibly tell you folks that you haven't heard already, you see? Well, how is it that I could say it any better than it has been said by guest speakers and, and, and other staff members and things like that? But never, nevertheless, that is the task before us. And I trust God that God will speak to each and every one of us uh, today, wherever we might be and whatever shortcomings we may have. So the first step to shake us out of our apathy would be we need to see the world as God sees it. We need to change our world view. Okay, now. The word worldview might be a highfalutin word. It might be a very philosophical word to some of you. And, and, and some of you would say, well, I'm not as familiar with it. I don't really think about it too much. What is the worldview and why this is so important? Well, it's important because it determines how we relate to God and with fellow human beings on this planet we call Earth. You see, every relationship that you and I have is based upon how we, what we value and, and, and how we see the world and we see our role in the world. And so it's, it's, it's shaped that way. And so uh, there, is, uh, there was a statement that was made, a very stunning statement that was made by Sam Wilson and Gordon Eshelman in their book, The Half Hidden. And it says, the worldview determines who we are, what we value, and how we behave. Now, that's a pretty broad statement. And each of us, you, 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 and me, we all have a world view, you see? And it determines what we will do, and it determines uh, a lot of things that uh, we choose to do. Let me give you an example, all right? Uh, it's my privilege to sometimes go and visit first-time parents, first-time parents. And I go in there, and they bring out the new baby, you know, and, and everything, you know, here, Pastor, this is the little blessing that God has come. You know, they hand it to me, and then it poops and all kinds of stuff, you know. And so I had this baby in my hand, and, and I'm just loving it to pieces, you know. And then you watch these parents, and suddenly everything is, is determined by the baby. 
when they eat, when they sleep, you know, all this kind of stuff. Everything is determined. For example, oh, the baby's born. We better start saving now because, you know, we got to get make sure they get in. There's enough money when they get to university and all this kind of stuff. Suddenly, the baby becomes the center of the universe, not the center of the galaxy, but the center of the universe. You see? And their worldview is hinged upon that baby. You see? And so worldviews are important. Now, the thing we need to understand is our worldview is distorted and damaged. Our worldview is distorted and damaged. Even after we become Christians. Because even though we become Christians, we still have this old nature in us. And it governs how we think and how we look at things. Okay? And so, for example, the Bible tells us that our worldview is distorted and damaged by Satan. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the God. Of the gospel in the uh, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so what happens is <laughs> we're affected. We are blinded by a lot of things. We don't see everything. OK, and so our worldview can be distorted and damaged. It is also distorted and damaged because of our own lusts and our own flesh. If you look at a description of. Uh, those who are not saved, this is their perspective in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Um, describing what it is like for those who do not have crisis. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And so that nature carries on with us into our saved lives until we begin to grow and mature in the faith. And But that old nature is in us, and because of that, our worldview can be distorted. Our perceptions of the world, what the world is and how it can be are far from the reality. And so another way to put this is, as a result, there are always more reasons not to share than to share the gospel. And so we take our worldview and we say to ourselves, oh, everything's fine. Everything is as it should be. Why do I need to get all uppity and why do I need to get all, all, all excited about sharing the gospel? You see, and it affects all of those things uh, uh, that we will do in the future. So what this means is because our worldview can be distorted, our worldview needs to be changed so that we see the world through God's eyes. How does God see the world? You see, you see, you see, you see, you think there in a minute. Yeah, how does God see the world? Well, there, there's many verses we can go to, but I'll just take you through a few. God sees mankind or the world is in great need. It is in great need. If you turn over to the book of Matthew, for example, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38. This is how Jesus saw the world around him as it was. He says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now here I get, I'll bet you Satan's whispering in your ear. I've heard it all and I've heard it enough. (laughs) Okay. But listen. How does God see the world? He sees the world as distressed and without him. He sees all the panic. He sees all the misery around him. And he says, they're without me. I'm not part of their life. I am not part of their uh, DNA. I'm not, I don't have anything to do with them. That's how he sees the world. He also sees the world as being depraved and far from him. In that great chapter one of the book of Romans, if you've never read it before, you ought to read it because in it, God makes a humongous statement about humanity and it's the, the sad shape that it is in today. He says in Romans chapter one, verse 28 to 32, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And so God looks upon this world and he sees the greater part of humanity. Oh, yes, there's some exceptions here and there. But he says, what I see out there is a world full of people with a depraved mind. So depraved, he goes on to list all of those horrible things that they would do. You see? And I don't know what your worldview is. I don't know what has shaped it. But I do know the Bible does warn us that it can be distorted by our old nature. And I am put on the fact that it is different from the way God sees it. And if you look also in one more passage... It is a world that is destined for death and eternal separation from God. Just turn over one page to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He sets the case very clearly. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And as a result, there is a penalty to be paid. There is an atonement that needs to be made. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. And death here means separation, and it means eternal separation. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so when God looks out on this world, what does he see? What does he see? He sees a world where human beings, people like you and me, are distressed and dispirited and without any connection with him. He sees us as being slaves to sin because our minds are depraved. He sees us as headed for a a, a eternity without him unless we accept Christ as our savior. And so this is the world as God sees it. But God also sees the world this way. He wants to save mankind. 
God doesn't give up on us. He hasn't given up on you and you and you and me. He hasn't given up on us. But he reaches out. And so such passages as John chapter 3, verse 16. I know Satan's saying to you, I have heard it and I've heard, I've heard it all and I heard enough. All right? But keep your ears open and your hearts open. One more time. And it says in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so, as God looks at this horrible world, the way it is, he turns around and he says, but I still love them. I still love them. And I want to be a part of their life. And he says that he sent his son to be that atonement for our sins. And he does it also, not out of love only, but also out of his mercy and grace. If you look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and in this very point and very powerful passage, this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, he says. And then if you look further down in verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that no one may boast, he says here. And so God, out of his love, out of his grace, and out of his mercy... He sees the world and he beckons the world to come unto him and be reconciled unto him. You see, that's how God sees the world. This is how God sees you. This is how God sees me. He sees all of us. And it's this worldview drives him to continue reaching out to us. This importance of the worldview is driven home, I think, by our... (laughs) Wonderful speaker that God gave us at the camp. His name was Tony Wong, and he was not only a pastor, but by gifting, he's an evangelist. And evangelists have this unique way of being used by God to say things in such a simple way, but they make such a powerful impact. And he told this story. He told this story. He says, this father calls up his son. And he says very excitedly to his, uh, to his son, I've just become a Christian. I've just become a Christian. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. To which the son very calmly, very coolly says, that's wonderful, Dad. I'm a Christian too. To which the father says in a very exasperated way, how long have you been a Christian? And the son says to his father, he says, oh, about 10 years. To which the father says, for 10 years, you knew I was going to hell and you never bothered to tell me? You know, worldview. The son never thought it was important enough that he should tell his father if he died, he would go to hell. You see, worldview, very important, you see. And so we if we want to solve some of those uh, shortcomings in our lives, such as loss of compassion and sense of urgency and so on and so forth, then we need to change the way we see the world and see it as God sees it. You see, that starts there. 
The second thing we can do is we need to see ourselves as God sees us. Okay? In other words, we need to change our view of ourselves. Okay? Now, first of all, God sees us as his witnesses and messengers of the gospel. Okay? Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Again, Satan's screaming in your ear. I have heard it all and I have heard it enough. Okay? But listen one more time. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all the Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. God saved us so that we, in turn, might bring the message of salvation to others. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us and allow us to go across the street and across the seas, to go across borders, to go across social, cultural, ethnic, and linguistic borders as they may be. You see, God equips us to go off and do these things. In fact, if you were to read the rest of the book of Acts, that's exactly what the apostles did. Take Philip in Acts chapter 8, just one chapter. And what did this dear brother do? He went to Samaria to witness. And you know, he was, Philip was Jewish. And so to go to the Samaritans, that was a big, gigantic step. And then he even talked to people that were not even near the, the culture of the Jews, half or otherwise. And he went and talked to an Ethiopian and, and he became saved. And then later in verse 40, he went to Caesarea. He went into Gentile land. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what they did. God sees you and me as his witnesses, he says. Well, how do we see ourselves? How do we see ourselves? And oftentimes when I listen to our, the, the, heart, the, the, the stories of, of Christians and uh, both uh, close and those who are not so close, there begins to surface a kind of a role that um, people see in their lives. They see themselves this way. They see themselves as being people who are here to be blessed by God. They live from one blessing of God to the next. They wake up in the morning. God, thank you for blessing me with sleep. Now bless me today. That's the first thing out of our mouths, right? And so throughout the day, thank you, God, for this successful business deal. Now bless me with another one. And we just go from one blessing to the next. And we think that our whole purpose on life is to receive blessings from God. That's it. That's it. That's where it stops. And when we don't get blessed, we are sorely disappointed with God and with uh, our everybody else, okay? And so that's how we see ourselves. But if we only see ourselves as individuals having our own personal needs and desires met by God, then we have missed the point. If we only see our purpose on earth is to find ways to be blessed by God, we, 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 have, uh, we don't see the, ourselves as God sees us. What is our purpose? I'm so glad that in the scripture reading that uh, our song leaders led us in, it was, Isaiah, it was uh, Psalms 96. And verse 2 said, sing, the, sing to the Lord his, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings to his salvation from day to day. Then verse 3, tell, to the, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. You see, the pur- our purpose in life is not to just sit here and receive blessings from God. It is to be a blessing to others. 
You see, another way to put it, our purpose in life is not merely to get great things from God, but to do great things for God. You see, but oftentimes we just so easily slip into that mode. Are you one of those? Am I one of those? Am I just one person that's going from one one prayer to the next and just saying, God bless me, God bless me, God bless me? Or am I a messenger? Am I a witness for God? He said, very, two very distinct things. Two very distinct things. God is reaching and teaching people through us. Not so much because of us, but in spite of us sometimes. But nevertheless, nevertheless, that's how God sees us. So if we can just take a moment, just take a moment of, you know, just... Shut off the Satan's voice that's saying to you, I've heard it all and I've heard it enough. Just turn that voice off for a minute and just think, what is my role? How does God see my role in the earth? What, how does God see the world? If you just take a moment to think about that, you've made progress. You've made progress. But that leaves us with one last thing, and that is this. Lastly, we need to see that our beliefs and our behavior match. Okay? And so, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, let me ask the question this way. Do we live according to what we say we believe? Do we live according to what we say we believe? Right? Well, what are some of the things we say we believe? Now, don't raise your hands, okay? Don't raise your hands unless you're really moved by the Spirit. Don't raise your hand, but, okay? But can you say, honestly, this thing? I believe... In life after death. Don't raise your hand. But how many would you would say, "Mm, yes, I do. How many of you would say there is a heaven or hell that waits for us on the other side of life here on earth? How many of you would say, yeah, 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 I believe in that. Yeah, I believe in that. How many of us in here would say we ought to obey the Lord and do what he wants and commands us to do? Well, that was a little tricky because some of us would say that depends on what it is, you see. But probably most of us would give some sort of assent. Yes, in general, I would believe that. I would believe that. Okay, let's go to the next step. Then does our behavior match what we believe? Okay, do we live life in light of these beliefs? Do these beliefs impact the agenda for our daily lives? (laughs) You see, if you believe there's life after death, then you'll want to find out what life they're going to (laughs) have after death, right? Okay? You you get the follow follow the thinking? Okay? And so, uh, uh, Jesus put this question of whether our behavior and our beliefs match this way. And if you turn with me to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, he was having a conversation with his, in a teaching moment with his disciples. And this is what he said to them in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I suppose the question, do you believe that Jesus ought to be the Lord of your life? How many believe that? If so, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? You see? 
James chapter 1 puts it this way, verse 22. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You know, sometimes the Christian life, us pastors and theologians and whatever, you know, graduates of the cemetery, I mean seminary, you know, we, we, sometimes we just make things so complicated. But if you think about this, what is it you believe and does your life live according to those beliefs? Okay, what's so, what's so hard about that? Even I can understand that. You, you see what I'm trying to say? And so, so the, 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 the application would be very clear here. So what we say we believe is truth from God should affect how we live. If so, then it would include but not be limited to such things as what? Obedience to sharing the gospel. If you look at Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, and it says this, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, remember, Satan's saying to you, I've heard it all and I've heard enough, you know. Block that out. Block that out. Listen one more time. This is what, this, if we really believe that Jesus is, uh, God is the, the Lord of our life, then we ought to be sharing the gospel. Number two, there should be a consistency and sense of urgency to deliver the message of reconciliation of, to God to everyone. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, this gives you a deep insight into the Apostle Paul. What motivated him? What drove him to do all that he did for God and to suffer for it as much as he did? If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see? So if we say we believe, does our behavior match? Okay? And that that would include then begging people, literally begging people to be reconciled to God. We desperately need as individuals and as a church to align the way we live with what we believe God wants us to do, especially as it applies to the fate of those who have yet to receive Christ as their Savior. Romans chapter 5 is probably a, the one of the greatest summary statements of all of what God had accomplished through Jesus Christ. If you look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Incredible. Incredible. Now, I want to share with you a very personal thing, okay? And, and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable, but nevertheless, it's something that's really deep on my heart. As some of you know, my, my, my brother, who's 
closest to me in years. Uh, he's seven years ahead of me. My brother uh, just learned that he had stage four lung cancer. And so uh, he, he's, he's much further along than, than anyone would believe because it came without any symptoms. And that's one of the hazards of that particular ailment. And some of you will remember that I was gone for about 48 hours. I flew back immediately to the United States. I wanted to be with my brother. And I wanted very much to be able to share the gospel with him while he was still strong enough and lucid enough to understand what I was saying. And so I caught a plane and I went there and I, and I was with my brother. And there on the, uh, the kitchen table uh, with him across from me, uh, I, I had an opportunity to share with him the bridge. You know how God is on one side, man's on one side, God's on the other side, and God has made a, a, pa- a bridge for us to get to him through Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And I, and I told my brother, I said, you know, Ken, you really need to accept Christ as your Savior. And my brother, you have to understand him. He, he's, he's made a lot of his life with what he had. And in, in every respect, he, he kind of lived the American dream. He started with nothing, and he, and he has a whole lot right now. And he's one of these guys that uh, rather fancies himself as half scientific and very philosophical and stuff. So he started quoting to me certain things and, and all that. And I patiently listened, lovingly listened to him. And I, I shared when, and, and at the end, I says, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, Ken, but I really want you to, to consider accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and have eternal life. And, you know, I didn't expect this from him because my brother and I are not very close. In fact, my whole family is a typical Asian family. We're not very close, okay? And so my, 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 my brother said to me, and he says, I will consider it. I will consider Okay? And I've been praying for him. I, I call him and I talk with him. He asked me to pray for him, you know, and, and all these kinds of things. Now, you probably say, of course you'll pray for me. If you're in your deathbed, you're going to pray. You ask someone to pray for you. You know, you're reaching out in desperation. No. you got to understand my brother. My brother is not one to give in to sentimentality. He's a very hard-nosed, pragmatic Asian person, if you ever met any of those kind of people. All right? And so on the 14th, I'm going to fly back and see him again on my, my, my journey to visit with my family. And, and, and I made a point that I'm going to fly in and see him. And you know what my brother said? Now, this is very uncharacteristic of my brother. He said, I talked to him this week, and he's very weak. He's on his fourth round of chemotherapy. And he said, are you still on target to come here on the 14th? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, it'll be good to see you. Now, you have to understand, this is from my brother. He doesn't talk that way. But he says, I want you to come. I'm asking you to pray with me that my brother will accept Christ as his Savior. To add an added note, I have done the funerals for many members of my family and the Effie's family. And I tell you the truth. Some were not believers, and those were difficult. The ones that were believers, it was much more pleasant. And I'm looking forward, if that time comes, that I will be able to minister to my brother's family. You see? And so there's that sense of urgency. There is that sense of compassion and passion 
for the lost. And that's what we need together. We need to change our worldview. We need to change how we see our role in this world. We need to get, make sure that our lives are in sync with God's views. But most of all, we need to pray. We need to pray. Pray for what? Okay, we need to pray for opportunities to share the the gospel. Pray for the courage to share the gospel. Be humble and gentle as you share the gospel. For just pray for the right words and experience as you share the gospel. And in between, live a life worthy of the gospel in between the opportunities to share the gospel so that people will be attracted to ask you why you live the way you do so people will ask you to share what you have and they don't have. That's what we need to do. Will you pray that way? Will you pray that way? Will you change your worldview? Will you see the world as God sees it? Will you change your view of your role in this world? Will you be willing to change your life so that your beliefs and behavior are in sync? Get your heart, mind, and life in sync with God's now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, speak to our heart. Stir within us again the flames of the sense of urgency that we are in a world that is destined for a Christless eternity. And help us to do all that we can to share the gospel and share with as many as possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise.